Good morning, y'all. All is well because we're here to worship the Lord. Uh, I am pleased to be with y'all this morning. Uh, it is always my pleasure when I get to do this. And, and often, as it, as it turns out, when I begin to plan and prepare, I start in a direction. And then as I study and as I prepare, uh, things tend to change just a little bit. What, uh, what I had intended to talk on today, and I had announced it, was love of the body. But uh, as, as that time has passed, that, that morphed a little bit into not just love of the body, but how Christians should love each other. And then it, uh, it morphed again, and it, it grew a little bit, and we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later on. But as you look around the room today, have you ever noticed just how bright it is in here? Isn't it wonderful? The great thing about that is, in a bright room like this, it's hard to be unseen and it's hard to be anonymous. And that's a good thing because you see, you can't love anonymously. You can certainly like anonymously and you can do kind and generous things anonymously but you can't love and you can't be loved anonymously. Today, I'm going to be speaking mainly to Christians. Uh, those who have been convicted of their sins, who have repented, and who are in relationship with our risen Lord Jesus Christ. However, none of the things that I'm talking about will be harmful to anyone. Uh, in, in fact, they would be good for most. Uh, most of these are going to be quite helpful, even if you don't believe yet. But if you don't believe yet, I'm going to encourage you, please, please listen. Uh, you might pick up a couple of things. And, and if you don't believe yet, after this, I would just be very pleased and encouraged if you want to talk to me after or contact me after. That would just be a blessing. So what we began with three times ago uh, was the love of the word. That is the first thing, and, and it becomes the building block of the other two. We have to love the word because that's how God speaks to us. God speaks to us through his word. And so we have God speaking to us and giving us instruction through his word. So what's not to love? But then, as a result of that, we get to communicate with God. We get to speak to God through prayer. And that's where we're vulnerable, and that's where we're transparent, and that's where we lay it all on the line to the God who we love so much. And through that, through those two, the hope is, and what generally happens is we meditate on the word, and we study it, and we abide in it, and we pray to God, then we begin to look more like Jesus. We're transformed rather than conformed. Well, that's the vertical relationship. That's the relationship between us and God. Today we're going to talk about the horizontal relationship, the relationship between man. And honestly, that right kind of relationship is only made possible because of a relationship with God. We can't love properly 
without that. So today we're going to discuss the horizontal relationship as made possible by the vertical relationship. Pray with me if you would. Lord God, we are here today to worship you. Father, we are thankful because we get to. We get to worship you. Father, we ask that you would take away anything that would distract us. Father, uh, be that what's happened this week or what's going to happen. Father, be that me, whatever. Let the distractions go away. Father, we ask that you would communicate clearly to us. Father, that you would make your will manifest through your word. Father, we ask that nothing would be altered, nothing would be changed, taken away from, added to, or edited. Father, use this time as you see fit, because it is for your glory. In the name of Christ, amen. So, let's get this out of the way quickly. We talked about the last three times love of the word and love of prayer and love of the body. And when I say the word love, I'm not talking about something that you might see on the Hallmark Channel <laughs> or on Great American Family or, or any of that stuff. I'm not talking about how you love ice cream or love your car or love something that you see on social media. I'm not talking about something that's sentimental or sappy or superficial. When we talk about love, what we're talking about in this context is something that we're dedicated to, something that has meaning. It requires commitment, something that goes beyond feeling, and in most cases, it's going to require some effort or some work. I've had the question come up to me, well, well Grady, why three distinctives? Aren't there more? Well, yeah, there, there are. There are a lot more. Okay, but why three and, and why these three? Let's look at that for just a minute. If you'll uh, look with me at Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. And this is a time when a Pharisee was going to prove how smart he was and trap Jesus. It says... Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Some weeks back... John David had covered this, so I'm not going to go over this in depth, but there are just a couple of things that we need to say for our context today. First, look at the order that Jesus speaks in. Love the Lord, your God. God is first, and God is foremost, and he is and always should be. And to this crowd that he was speaking to, and, and even to us, this was not really a new revelation. This was straight out of the Old Testament. So this is something that they had heard and we have heard all of our lives. We can only love those that we know. We can like people, we can know people, but we get to know God through his word and because of that, we love him. 
through reading the word and through prayer. And if you look at this, really, this first part of the verse is a summation of the first four commandments. And this is what you would be inclined not to do if you're following the first four commandments. You would not be unfaithful to him and worship other gods. You would not place other things before God. You would certainly not misuse his name. And you would forget, you would not forget about him and think only of yourself. Then man is next. And what Jesus says here is love your neighbor as yourself. The implication is that we already love ourselves. And you know, my life experience tells me that most people do love themselves. That's, that's not a problem. They, they want what is good for themselves. They want the best for themselves. So that's not a big deal. But we are to love others as much as we love ourselves. And you know, sometimes I wonder if, if we really have the capacity to love anything or anyone as much as we love ourselves. But we're told to. And as you look at this, this directive is, is really uh, a compilation of commandments 5 through 10. And we wouldn't be inclined to take something from others that should never be taken from them. For example, the love, honor, and respect due to parents. Someone's spouse, someone's life, or their good name and reputation. Or to take stuff that is not specifically offered. Or even to wish that they didn't have something that we don't have, but yet we want. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, not wrong, does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So that's how we got here. That's how we got to the three distinctives. Let's look a little bit deeper and figure out today a little bit about that final one, what started off as love of the body. You see, God is pleased and glorified when Christians, Christian brothers and sisters, work together harmoniously and in ministry together. And if you're a parent, you know what a joy it is when you see your kids living life together harmoniously and not trying to kill each other. If you're not a parent, you know what it looks like in the workplace. If you're an adult, and you know what it looks like in the classroom if you're a child. When people are working together, working harmoniously, not trying to stab each other in the back, not trying to one-up each other, but trying to do the right thing. These relationships, like a close-knit family, 
and other relationships fulfill the word of the psalmist who said, Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Psalm 133.1 I believe that the Lord for Christians has replaced a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. It gives us the ability or the potential to love as he has intended it to be. In Ezekiel 36, 22, and then 25 through 27, Therefore I say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. First, we see why God did that. It was for his glory. And then we see that God is glorified when we love our brothers and sisters, as we should. Look what he did in those verses. He cleansed us. He put his spirit in us. He's removed hearts of stone and replaced them with hearts of flesh. And he will cause us to walk in his statutes and ordinances. And I can tell you guys that I am the least likely candidate to talk about love were it not for what God has done. So we see that because of what God has done, we are capable of love. We look at 1 John 4 and 19. We love because he first loved us. The question becomes, are we willing? Not are we able, but are we willing? And, and you see, that's the rub. It just got real, and it just got hard. Now, I'm probably going to let you in on a little bit if it's not. I don't know what's going on. Uh, but I'll let y'all in on a little secret. It's not well known, but people are weird <laughs> and people are messy. And you may look at me and say, no, no, Grady, I'm not weird and I'm not messy. And, and, and I'll look at you and say, I love you and you are weird and you're messy and, <laughs> and so am I. But despite that, and despite the fact that sometimes we don't recognize our weirdness and messiness because we've gotten used to our own brand, but in spite of that, God loves us. And we're to love others even if they're as weird and messy as we are. 1 Corinthians 13, yes, the love chapter, verses 3 through 7. 
Paul says, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Last time when we talked about prayer, a dear friend and brother came up to me afterward and said, you know, Grady, you might have stepped on some toes with that. And so, as a public service announcement, um, pick your feet up. (laughs) Because my toes are bloodied and my feet are numb at this point. And just for complete transparency and honesty, this love thing doesn't come natural to me. I think I could say with almost complete assurance, it doesn't come natural to any of us. It's something that we've got to work at. It's something that is going to require effort. It's going to require dedicated thought and time. But what does this text tell us about what love is and and what love is not and and what uh, we should not be doing? First, patient. It's an ugly word, isn't it? Are we patient with our brothers? Impatience, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) Impatience is a sure sign of being selfish. We become impatient and we become selfish when our agenda and our time is more important than someone else's. You know, we do things at different times and different paces depending on what's going on, but love isn't arrogant and it doesn't brag, and if my time is more important than yours, I've just broken one of the rules. And patience is also the capacity to be wronged without having to retaliate. Love is kind, and this has a lot to do with being gentle. And and there's a misconception. Gentleness has nothing to do with weakness. Gentleness is strength under control. It's having power or control or the strength, but not using it. In Ephesians 4, we are told to speak the truth in love. And if I'm honest, I, I can tell you that For the majority of my life, I have had the ability to speak the truth. Uh, Some people might say that, Grady, you're kind of a straightforward guy. Others might say, Grady, you're without guile. And then a majority of people might say, Grady, you're just blunt. Where I have struggled throughout the majority of my life is speaking the truth in love. There is the rub. And I've learned to do that, and in all honesty, through a lot of failure, 
to speak the truth in love. Because you see, speaking the truth without love is, is not kind. And sometimes it's just mean. But speaking sweet things to people that you don't mean is neither the truth nor is it love. There's a balance. Love does not envy. It's not jealous. Generally, envy and jealousy are rooted in insecurity and fear. Both of these indicate too much concentration on self. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, and it is not provoked. All of these are signs of way too much self-interest. You know, y'all, there's an old cliche, and I am prone to cliches, but it says that we aren't told to think less of ourselves. We're told to think of ourselves less. If, our, if we are, com uh, are completely thinking about ourselves, it's hard to love anything other than ourselves. Did you ever notice just how many problems could be solved if we took a good, hard, long look in the mirror? Because the things that we see in other people that are so immature, they are so childish, they're so sinful, and just unattractive. If we look in the mirror there's a strong chance we're going to see those things in ourselves. And it's easier to be kind and to be patient. Love does not boast, and it's not arrogant or rude. Boasting and arrogance and rude behavior are signs of a self-centered attitude. Are you seeing a pattern? What are the opposites of these? Humility, not being puffed up and being well-mannered. These are attractive things in people and we enjoy being with them when they're that way. Let's be that way. Love would rather brag on or praise someone else than to be the recipient of all that attention. If we look at Philippians 2, and three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant as yourse than yourself. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. <laughs> I feel like I'm being sawn in half by a magician. <laughs> it does not count up wrongdoings, it does not keep score, it does not do an accounting of all the stuff that's happened to us. When we were talking about prayer, I mentioned, and it's still true, it's still true that I will never have to forgive others as much as I've been forgiven. There's no way that I will ever have to forgive others as much as I've been forgiven. And I think it's important to remember that. See, I believe there's another component 
in this as well. Sometimes when we've been hurt, we don't forget about it. And we think other people are out to hurt us. And that affects the way we relate to people. One of the things that I think that we can train ourselves to do, if we believe the words that we read in Ezekiel, we trust our brothers and sisters. And we believe that they're not out to harm us. It will change our relationships. And personally, I've told people that if you see something in my life that I'm doing wrong, that's unscriptural, or even has the appearance of impropriety, and if you don't tell me about that, you don't love me because... Hate is not the opposite of love. Apathy is. So when we do stuff like that, is it always going to feel good? No, it is not. But at times like that, sometimes when I hear people say stuff that I think is hurtful, I have to ask clarifying questions. Okay, you, I just heard you to say whatever. Did you mean what I thought I heard, or what did you mean? By asking that clarifying question, we get to the point. Because human communication is inefficient, Uh, especially those that don't have a lot of words like myself. It's inefficient, and it comes off as blunt. Uh, Is there a chance we're going to get hurt? Absolutely. But, you know, I believe that if we put up too many defenses around our heart, we're going to lose the capacity to love and to be loved. Proverbs 19.11. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. I fully understand that I am the recipient of that kind of grace often. I think we all are. It's never my intent to offend. And I don't believe that other people are going around trying intentionally to offend others. And with that in mind, it's much less likely for me to take stuff personally. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. We should never be delighted when we see other people fall or fail or have some misfortune come to them. We should never take pleasure when others are hurt. Have you ever noticed just how many people want to pull other people down or hold them down rather than pull them up? This sort of behavior where we're not rejoicing in wrongdoing would certainly prohibit gossip. If, however, we are encouraged to rejoice when good things happen, then doesn't it seem that it would naturally flow? We learn to rejoice when good things happen to us. Why don't we rejoice when good things happen to other people, even if they're weird and messy like me? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. We see that love protects, love trusts, 
Love hopes and love perseveres. Think about God's love for us. What has his love borne and what has his love endured? 1 Peter 4 and 8, Peter says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. What we're not talking about here is trying to hide sin so it will go away. But what we're talking about is not trying to expose other people's sin at their expense. We do that in private. We don't do that in public. That means we don't go around telling others how we've been wronged to make ourselves look better or to get pity. 2 Timothy 2.10 Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal joy. And then the last part of this verse says, love never ends. You don't stop loving because it's hard. Y'all, it starts hard, and it doesn't get better. No, we realize that one imperfect vessel has to decide to love another imperfect vessel. And we can ask ourselves the question, at what point is it okay for other people to stop loving us? That will help us decide at what point we can stop loving others. So as we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, we saw a list of things. And, and, and just for giggles and grins, if we were to look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and see how those compare, that would be interesting. And it reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. This is the power that God has given to love properly. And you know, this can be easily summed up in just a couple of things. What love is. Love is enriching. It makes our lives and those that we love, their lives richer. It's edifying. It builds and it doesn't tear down. And it's enduring. Love has staying power. It's like the Energizer Bunny. It just keeps going and going and going. I had a dear aunt growing up. And she was actually more like a grandmother to me than an aunt. Very sweet, very kind woman. But as she grew older, she had never been married and her life started collapsing in on herself. She became very self-absorbed, oh, pitiful me, and it changed her personality. And then she decided that she would get involved in doing genealogy and the family tree. And this is back before the internet, so it had to be done in person, in libraries, with books, and you had to talk to people 
And through that, she got pretty good at genealogy. In fact, she got so good at it, she was helping other people. And by helping other people and thinking about what they needed and what they wanted, her personality changed back to the aunt that I knew and that I loved. It turned her around because love is the utter enemy of selfishness. Now, as, as I was preparing for this, I became very convicted. We talked about this a little bit, that what started off as love of the body and then morphed into love of Christian brothers and sisters, well, it had to grow a little bit because Jesus used the word neighbors. What I had used was much too narrow, and what Jesus used was much more inclusive. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's an inclusive word. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 32, Jesus said, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. So does love stop at the church doors? You know, in many churches, as you drive out of the parking lot, there's a sign that says, you are now entering the mission field. And quite honestly, I always thought that sign ought to have an addendum on it that said, and you're leaving one too. Let's look at love and have a much bigger worldview than a tiny body or just our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's look at the local body, certainly, but let's look at a whole lot more. So how do we practically apply what we have just looked at and what do these words look like in the real world? I'll give us a few things that will help us navigate this, but let's do keep in mind a much bigger picture. At Canton Bible, and I am a homer, but we are reasonably good at loving each other. But isn't it kind of easy because that is so often reciprocated? But what's it look like outside of these doors, outside of this body? There is a body of water in Israel. We know it as the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea has only an inlet. It has no outlet. It's called an endoric lake or a sink lake or a terminal lake. All endoric bodies of water are primarily very salty and they have no life in them. You've got to have an inlet and you've got to have an outlet. It works that same way with love. We need to not only be recipients of it, have an inlet, we need to have an outlet where we pour it out. God is big enough that we will continue to overflow because of his love. What we are instructed to do is to be a clear and not a distorted reflection of Christ's love for us. So what are some things that we can do? We can serve. Even stuff where nobody notices. Even stuff that nobody knows about. We should ask people how we can help and then do something about that rather than just acknowledging what they had just said.
even better. We can see something and jump in and do it. Or we can take that outside these walls and look at our community and see where their needs and where their hurts. I, uh, I honestly have to pray that God would keep my eyes open, that I would see things that he sees, that I would see the needs that are out there. Otherwise, I am very tempted to become myopic. We fellowship and gather together. You know, I've heard people say that they love Jesus, but they really don't love the church that much, and they really would prefer to worship alone. And that flies against the counsel of Scripture. In Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, we read, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're told to encourage each other with the word. You know, for those of us that are introverts, it may seem odd, but that's how God designed it. He designed us to be in fellowship and in loving relationships with each other. And y'all, that's how we develop community. We can't say that no one likes us. No one wants to be with us if we don't give them the opportunity. Years ago, I had a roommate, and he told me, you know, Grady, I want to marry this particular girl. And because I tell the truth, I looked at him and said, Richard, because that was his name, Richard, that's never going to happen unless you ask her out on a date first. <laughs> We've got to be involved in stuff like this if we want to have community and build each other up with the word and love each other. Listen. That can be a ministry in and of itself. Listen to people and they will tell you what they need and where they're hurting. And, you know, as a, as a practical reminder, sometimes we may need a subtle mental note that we listen with these and not with this. We can listen with their ears and hear stuff because people will tell you if they know that you love them. How can we see someone's needs and someone's hurts and someone's pain if we don't listen, don't keep our ears and eyes open? We can share our faith. That certainly requires love. And it requires us to get out of our own self-consciousness. I have to ask my question, myself the question, is there anyone that I don't love enough that I wouldn't want them to go to heaven? I can't name anybody. But y'all, we, we do have to understand that the Holy Spirit is the agent of salvation and that's above our pay grade. 
but it is our honor and our duty to tell people about the most important thing that there is. If we look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And then in Romans 10, 14, and 15, Paul said, How then... Will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Here's another little secret. It's not just people who stand behind one of these shields up here that are the preachers. The preachers are all of us. It's our honor and our responsibility to share that with a world that needs to know. And we're to prefer others' wants and needs and desires to our own in everything. This is in action, in attitude, and in desire, this is fighting human nature. Our human nature is to want our needs over everyone else's. And Christ gave us such a beautiful example of this. If we look again at Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore since we have sur are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let's fight our human nature and flesh. And let's run with endurance. That's without quitting and without tiring. The race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the perfect example of what we're talking about, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And in John 13, 35, Jesus says, by this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So in effect, God has made our love for one another a measuring stick by which the world can see if our testimony is real. See if our Christian profession is genuine. That's why it's so important to have a selfish attitude and sincerely place the interest of others before our own.
Because you see, God is love. Notice I didn't say love is God because there is an enormous difference. As his image bearers, let us carry that love to the body, to our families, and to the world. And if you aren't experiencing that kind of love, see one of us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we bow our heads and know that without you, this is not possible. But Father, you have demonstrated that love to us. Father, we are in this season where we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus. But Father, we also know full well that that was the beginning and the end was known then that Jesus came to die on the cross for us. Father, that is love that we can only be recipients of. We can't fully understand it because we don't have the capacity to love with that kind of love. Father, we ask that you would take our hearts and that you would shape them. Father, that you would cause us to love and that we would show that to a world that desperately needs it. Father, we thank you. It's in the name of Christ we pray.